church. Come on in. Grab your coffee. Grab a seat. Grab your Bibles. If you have your Bibles, we are continuing our study through the book of 1 Peter. We are in 1 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 15. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand, and these guys will bring one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13 through 15 this morning. I had the opportunity this last week to go out to a pastor's prophecy conference in uh, Tucson, Arizona. Besides the fact that it was like 75 degrees there and 39 here, I, I, I mean, that was a blessing. But I just want you to know, Jesus is still coming back, okay? It was awesome, but it's good to be back. And uh, we're going to pick up where we left off, starting in verse 13. Peter writes, And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. Do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. The title of my message this morning is A Reason for Hope. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for this time that we could spend in your word this morning. We thank you that we have your word, Lord, that gives us everything we need for life, and for godliness, Lord, that it gives us hope. And Lord, I know that's what we're going to look at this morning. We ask that you would just bless our time together, give us not only information, but application into our lives, that it would change us and draw us closer to you and our relationship with you. Lord, I do pray if there's anyone that has joined us that has yet to surrender their heart and life to you, they're not born again this morning. Speak to their heart especially, Lord, I pray. Show them their need to come to you, to turn from their sin, and to be born again today. Thank you for this time that we can spend together in your word. We ask your blessing upon it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I read a story about a missionary who was sitting on her second story window when she was handed a letter from home. As she opened this letter, a crisp, brand new $10 bill fell out of it. Well, she was pleasantly surprised, but as she read the letter, uh, her eyes were distracted by the movement of a shabbily dressed stranger down below, leaning against a, a post in front of her building. And she couldn't get him off of her mind. Thinking that he might be in a greater financial need than she, she slipped the bill into an envelope. She quickly penned on the envelope, don't despair. She threw it out the window. The stranger picked it up and read it, looked up and smiled as he tipped his hat and went his way. The next day she was about to leave the house when a knock came on the door and she found this shabbily dressed man smiling as he handed her a roll of bills. She asked, what, what is this for? He replied, that's the 60 bucks you won, lady. Don't despair, paid five to one. <laughs> one of the biggest challenges I think we face in, in life is to never lose hope. It's hard to wait for desires that never seem to come or to keep believing when we face disappointment or pain and, and pressure. And yet one thing that we know that is found in the Word of God over and over and over again is hope. True hope comes to the believer in Jesus Christ. It's been said we don't know what tomorrow holds, but we know who holds our tomorrow. And that's the hope of the Christian as we look 
at, at a world that is in upheaval, as we look at a world that seems out of control, we know that God has the whole thing in control, in his hands. And that gives us hope. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. Uh, do you know that the capacity to hope was one of the greatest blessings that God has given to mankind? God knew here on this earth that life would be hard. At times it would be tough and we would go through difficult situations and, and hardships and, and, and hard to cope with circumstances. So he gave us the capacity to hope. Hope is a, is a beautiful gift from God because when times get bad, what? We hope they get better. When there's no rain, we you know, hope that we get rain. When it rains for a week in a row, oh, good Lord, we hope that it stops raining. You know, when it's been cold, we hope will it finally warm up. And I think this week we may have that. When there's sickness, we hope that we'll get better. When there's a, an accident, we hope for survivors. Hope is that capacity that enables us to take the next step to go the distance, to keep on trying when things are difficult. Over and over again, God's Word uh, teaches us to have hope. Psalm 39, verse 7. And now, Lord, what do I wait for? My hope is in you. Psalm 31, 24. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all you who hope in the Lord. Proverbs 23:18 For surely there is a hereafter and your hope will not be cut off. Jeremiah 17:7 7, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. Lamentations 3:26 It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It's all over God's word. What is hope? I think oftentimes we think of hope as as kind of something uncertain. Well, it's Christmas time and I hope I get this present for Christmas. You know, I hope I don't get pulled over by that policeman. I hope that that policeman that's pulling me over doesn't go to my church. Okay, uh, it's, it's an idea of uncertainty, you know. One simple definition of hope is a reliance on God's blessing and provision. It's the expectation of future good. C.S. Lewis puts it this way, hope, the continual looking forward to the eternal world. I like that. Apostle Paul ranked it only second to, to that of love, where he said in 1 Corinthians 13, hope bears all things. In other words, hope is the capacity that God has given to us to, to sustain us, to get us through different difficult times. But how tragic it is when we become hopeless. How tragic it is when a person has given up hope and there's no hope left in him. See, a life without hope is tragic in and of itself. That means it's a life without Christ because in Christ we have hope. See, God doesn't want us to live without hope. And he shows us uh, that we have a reason for hope. And that's what we're looking at here in 1 Peter chapter 3. Peter's writing to a people who were going uh, through difficult times. They were losing hope. They had difficult days ahead. In fact, persecution was coming against them. It already had begun and it would get worse. They would be fed to the lions. They would be nailed to crosses. They would be boiled in, in hot oil. They would be lit up as human torches in, in Nero's garden. In fact, in the coming years, over 6 million Christians would be put to death for their faith. So Peter, knowing things are getting worse, knowing that the, the, the persecution of the church that they, they was facing, the difficulties they were facing, his heart was, hey, let's get refocused. We have a hope. And if you're taking notes this morning, we're going to look at three things. Uh, uh, number one, we're to have hope. Number two, we're to give hope. And then we'll close off with four reasons for hope. First, number one, we're to have hope. 
You know, whenever you, you watch a good movie and you know it's going to have a happy ending, uh, I love, you know, rooting for the good guys. I mean, even though you know it's going to turn out okay, yeah, come on, you get it. Yeah, they're going to get theirs in the end. Yeah, and you, you rejoice. Hope keeps us going through those hard times. It's fuel for the future. It's a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. You know, hope is, is why we have church for illnesses and groundbreaking technology that changes the world. And yet the best reason for hope is what we find in the Word of God. Remember we left off in verse 12, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are open to their prayers. What a great verse. The eyes of the Lord are on us. He's, he, you are important to the Lord. Then verse 13 he says, And besides, who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? Now you read that and you go, well, wait a minute. Is that a trick question? I mean, I've had people want to harm me when I did something good. I mean, you're driving down the road and you, you stop to let someone go in front of you and you got the guy behind you that's honking your horn or, you know, wanting to get out and, and beat you up or something. You know, you, 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 you get someone that's want to harm you when well, you're doing something good. Maybe you reached out to someone, wanted to, to help them, and, and you got your hand slapped or, or something. Listen, we need to understand the context that Peter is writing here. Peter is speaking about the spiritual, not the physical. Yeah, we can be harmed physically on this earth, but no harm can come to us when it comes to our spiritual life. Peter is talking about the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. I think uh, maybe maybe heard of the story of the missionary Jim Elliott. Four other men, they were killed in 1956 by the Aka Indians in Ecuador. They went into a place where, where, where they never, the gospel never even uh, other mankind coming into this, this island there. And, uh, and they were witnessing their faith. They were killed. Why were they killed? For doing good. Now in the end, not only did the Aka Indians learn about Jesus' love and forgiveness, but many of the people all over the world decided to serve the Lord after they heard of his story. So you could say what harm came to Jim Elliot and his four companions for doing good. Well, they died physically, but they lived on spiritually. And God used their death mightily. You see, the Bible teaches to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. So immediately when they took their last breath upon this earth, they took their first breath in heaven. Within the first five minutes, they experienced joy and peace and, and the ultimate satisfaction of eternity living with Jesus Christ. Hope fulfilled. No more death. No more sorrow. No more sickness. No more despair. No more suffering. So really, no harm came to them. None. Their death was just a mode of transportation to get from one place to another, a much better place, I might add. And that's Peter's point here. He's talking about the spiritual over the physical and how much the Lord places the spiritual above the physical. Peter's giving them hope in the perverse world that they were living in. And like I said, things were going to get a lot worse for them. As I mentioned, over, over uh, the coming years, six million would go through intense persecution resulting in their death. But again, Peter's saying, what harm can come to you spiritually? Yeah, physically they might harm you, but, but they can't touch you spiritually. Jesus made the point when he said this in Matthew 10, 28, don't be afraid of those who want to kill you. They can only kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. That's why Peter says in verse 14, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed and don't, don't be, do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. Don't let it freak you out. Peter says we're blessed 
for suffering for righteousness sake. That word blessed can also mean, oh, how happy. So Peter says, if you should suffer for righteousness sake, oh, how happy you will be. Why? Well, Jesus put it this way in Matthew 5.10. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Right back to the spiritual. Our hope in Jesus Christ, his righteousness, who promises us heaven. Now, Jesus also said in John 15, 20, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted you, uh, me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. So when you are persecuted for righteousness sake, be happy because you're treated just like Jesus was treated. You're being just like Jesus. So that's a good thing. But here's the deal. And here's what bothers some people. The righteousness we received in Christ is by its very nature confrontational, even though it's not preached by words. In fact, uh, oftentimes our lives preach much louder than our words, and when they do, that confronts people's wickedness because of that contrast. In other words, they don't like you simply because you are a Christian, without ever even talking to you, just looking by, by your life on the outside. But then when, they, when we do stand upon the Word of God and speak out, watch out, then they really don't like you. We stand upon the word of God and we speak out about the critical race theory being pushed in our public schools. We stand upon the word of God and speak out against abortion. We stand upon the word of God and we speak out against the LGBTQ lifestyle, how it's an affront to God and and contrary to the word of God. And People, they're not going to applaud you. Oftentimes they'll get angry, they'll get belligerent, they'll, they'll turn off microphones at school board meetings. They'll call you racist. They'll call you unloving. But that's exactly what Jesus said, how they would respond. And why he said, John 3, 20, for everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. So when you're living a godly lifestyle, your very example is a rebuke to a person who's not living a godly life. Your very presence can be irritating. You don't even have to say anything and you're offensive. Just you walk up high. How are you? What a glorious day. Oh, shut up. Go jump in a lake. You know? It's just who you are and who you stand for and what you believe and who you follow. Righteousness brings persecution. You know, there's a promise in the Bible that many people don't like to claim, including myself. You never hear people say, oh, my life versus 2 Timothy 3.12. Listen to it. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. When was the last time you claimed that verse? (laughs) No, we claim all sorts of promises in the Bible for healing and for guidance and protection, as we should. But when was the last time you said, Oh, Lord, you promised if I live godly, I will be persecuted. I just claim that promise right now. I'm not doing that, Lord. I I just... (laughs) It's an illustration, Lord. Um, You wouldn't do that. Am I nuts? But listen, if you are experiencing persecution, it's a good indication that you're living a godly life, that you're living in Christ's righteousness. I've always liked the story about John Wesley, who was a traveling preacher back in the 1700s, who began the Wesley Methodist movement. He was persecuted all the time. Yet one story goes, on one occasion, he had not been persecuted for nearly three days in a row. Not a single brick was thrown at him. No eggs were tossed at him. He had not been, been under any form of attack at all. Questioning whether or not he'd really been living a godly life when riding to the next town, he stopped, got off his horse, fell to his knees, and cried out to the Lord, Oh God, have I backslidden against you? 
I haven't been persecuted in three days. Just then a farmer who really disliked Wesley, listening from behind the bushes, heard him. It angered him so much that he picked up a brick and heaved it at Wesley. Now it missed him, but Wesley, upon seeing this, said, Thank God I'm all right. I still have God's presence. <laughs> Listen, maybe you've not had a brick thrown at you, but there are other ways in which persecution can show itself. Not getting that promotion. Being made fun of. Getting fired because your company didn't accept your religious exemption for the vaccine. You know, this coronavirus pandemic has escalated religious persecution against churches in the U.S. like never before. I mean, they're shutting down churches, fining churches in the millions of dollars for staying open. Something we never thought would see in the U.S. Religious persecution. Things going on in Canada right now. Perhaps you're, you're called names because you stand up for God's plan for marriage between a man and a woman. Perhaps you're persecuted because you've said there are only two genders, male and female, and you're called racist because you stand upon the word of God. Perhaps you lose your job simply for, for right, standing for righteousness and against sinfulness. They won't say that's the reason, it's, that's the reason but it is. Now, it may not be persecution that, that we see in other countries, but it's persecution just the same. Now, in reality, it really is just a small taste of what we see going on in the rest of the world. According to Open Door Ministries, in just this last year alone, there have been over 340 million Christians living in places where they experience high levels of persecution and discrimination. 4,761 Christians killed for their faith. 4,488 churches and other Christian buildings attacked. 4,277 believers detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, or imprisoned. Jesus says, blessed are you. Peter says, if you should suffer righteousness sake, you are blessed. Do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. Now, you need to make sure you're being you know, persecuted. You're suffering for righteousness sake, not just because you're being a little bit obnoxious. Peter doesn't say if you should, you should suffer for being obnoxious, you're blessed. Neither did Jesus. You know, Jesus didn't say, blessed are you if you suffer for being self-righteous or acting holier than thou or obnoxious or tactless or moronic or idiotic. In that case, you get what you deserve. <laughs> you know, some Christians actually make themselves obnoxious in their witness to others and, and think that they, they think they're taking a stand for the Lord, but in reality, they're just misrepresenting the Lord. So the point here is that when we suffer persecution for righteousness' sake, when we face threats, that's not to trouble us because we have a hope. We have a home in heaven. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 17 and 18 in the New Living Translation. For our present troubles are small and they won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever forever. See, again, our problem is the physical, what we see, what we feel. The earthly problems and concerns are so tangible. They're just right in front of our faces. But the hope that we have is built on faith. It's built on what we cannot see. Remember what Peter said in uh, chapter 1, verse 5, that we are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. We are kept Spiritually, by the power of God. You know, you've heard the slogan, you're in good hands with Allstate. Listen, you're in better hands with Jesus. 
While it's true that people may hurt you, but they, they can't do permanent harm to you as long as you understand who keeps you. Jesus put it this way, John 16, 33, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. There's two statements there. One is a promise. You will have tribulation. Uh, that's, that's something you can count on. Life is, is full of tribulation. That's a promise. The other is an offer. You can have peace. Tribulation is promised, but peace is offered. How do we have peace? Jesus says, "Me in me you may have peace. Now why is that? Because the battle's been already won. Jesus paid the price for our peace. You, you uh, Chiefs football fans would appreciate this. You remember about a month ago in the playoffs, the Bills and the Chiefs, with one minute left to play, the score tied, or actually the, the score was Kansas City 33, Buffalo 29. Buffalo came back to score a touchdown with 13 seconds left in the game to take the lead against the Chiefs, 36 to 33. Everyone thought it was over. The Bills, are, they're high-fiving each other. They're giving hugs. They're congratulating each other. They're rejoicing, celebrating. The, the Chiefs looked like they were just, just bummed out, you know, with no hope in sight and only 13 seconds left. We thought for sure the Chiefs lost. But then Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, they, they took the ball downfield and with only three seconds left in the game, the Chiefs kicker Harrison Butker kicked the field goal to tie the game 36-36, to 36, sent the game in overtime. Chiefs won the toss, and it was all over then. They went to beat Buffalo 42-36. to 36. It was intense. It was exciting. It was stressful. We were walking back and forth in my living room, and I thought, man, how's it? I, I wanted to walk out, but I didn't want to walk out, you know, especially when they, you know, the Bills went ahead. I, oh, man, this, I'm moaning. I'm screaming. I'm stressed out. I, I, I was excited. It was awesome. <laughs> so the next day, I go online. And they're showing the last two minutes of this football game over and over again. In fact, over 7 million views today to the last two minutes of that game. So I watched it. Guess what? Second time watching it, I wasn't stressed out. I wasn't worried. I didn't pace back and forth. No screaming, no moaning. I simply watched it with enjoyment. I was at peace. Why? Because I knew how it turned out. The battle had already been won. The football battle. Listen, we have God's word. We know how this world is going to turn out. God wins. (laughs) And those of us that know him, we are kept by him. We win. So we can look at what's happening in this world and not be stressed out, not be worried, not be pacing back and forth, but to be at peace in the hopes that we have. The victory has been won. So we don't sorrow as those that have no hope. It's been said, never be afraid to trust the unknown future into the hands of a known God. Or Romans 8, 35 and 37, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? He goes on, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. What harm can people do to us because we are more than conquerors through him who loved us? I think of when Goliath was towering over David, little David, you know, he heads to the, to the brook, and the Bible tells us that, that he picks up five stones. Now, why five? Well, I believe because Goliath had four brothers, David was ready to take on the whole family if necessary. So he slings one stone in the air and, and hits Goliath right between the eyes, and, and Goliath is down for the count. And then because Goliath was defeated... All of the Philistines fled, and now the men of Israel, who were previously reluctant, 
reluctant to take on the giant. They're all sharing in the victory won by that single shepherd boy. Listen, in the same way, our champion, our good shepherd, the son of David, Jesus Christ, took on the, the Goliath of sin from our lives. He beat Satan and beat the world. And because of that, we live in victory. We have hope. We have peace. Who can harm us? Our sins are forgiven. I'm going to heaven. The victory has been won. No amount of persecution can change that. You know, the Apostle Paul likens our Christian walk uh, to, to running a race. But let me tell you, it's, it's the only race in the world that begins at the finish line. <laughs> we don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. The battle's already been won. Jesus has already overcome. No wonder he says, be of good cheer. We have hope. Amen. That brings us to our second point. We should give hope. Look at verse 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and in fear. The word sanctify means to set apart, means to reverence the Lord God in your heart. It means to fear displeasing God rather than fear what men may do to you. It means being satisfied with nothing less than the will of God for our lives. Now, why does Peter say this? Well, because when you're facing persecution, when you're facing trials, it's hard. There are times, you have to admit, that we can be angry at God. And if we're honest, we can be bitter towards the Lord. God, why? Why did you allow this to happen? God, why didn't you allow that to happen? Peter says, listen, you need to have hope and reverence to the Lord God in your heart anyway, even if things don't turn out the way you think they should turn out. Understand, God sees the big picture. We're just ants on a tapestry rug of life. And sometimes we may feel stepped on and squashed like a bug, but God knows and God sees, especially when it comes to outward persecution. Here we're told to, to, to be set apart or reverence the Lord in our hearts. In other words, know that God is in control. Know that He sees the big picture. Know that He loves you. Be an example to those that have no hope. I mean, he says that. Uh, he says, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. In other words, we're to give hope to those that are hopeless. Folks, we have the answer. We have the hope of eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We have our sin forgiven. The debt has been paid in full by what Jesus did on the cross. So let everyone know the reason for our hope. Be ready Peter says, to give a defense to everyone who asks. That word for defense is where we get the word apology from. Uh, you may have heard the term apologetics. Now, it doesn't mean to keep saying you're sorry. I apologize, I apologize, I apologize, I'm apologetic. No. It, it, it describes a reasonable defense as if you were in a court of law. It's a branch of theology that deals with defending the faith. It means you ought to know a little bit more than just a small amount of your Bible. C.H. Spurgeon puts it this way. Nobody ever outgrows Scripture. The book widens and deepens with our years. Within the Scripture, there is a balm for every wound, a salve for every sore. The Bible in the memory is better than the Bible in the bookcase. I like that. We need to be students of God's Word, to know what you believe and why you believe it. Some people complain, well, I just, I just can't remember all those facts and scriptures in my brain. I get a brain freeze. Or, or I just have a hard time, uh, you know, I know what I believe, I just have a hard time expressing it. 
Or you know when these the non-believers and these skeptics ask me a question, I just kind of freak out. Well, what do they ask you? Well, did Adam have a belly button? <laughs> Who cares? Did Cain have a wife? Well, I would tell you if I were able. <laughs> People will ask dumb questions. Peter tells us even still we're to always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks. Doesn't that sound inclusive? Always. Everyone. Now, does that mean you should have an answer for every subject to any question that's out there? Uh, no. Peter limits it to what? To the hope that is in you. Be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks a reason for the hope that is in you. Now, that's a great relief to me because it means not everyone is called to be Christian scholars. And I've read books by Norman Geisler on when skeptics ask or, or, or when critics ask, and, and I go, wow, that guy is a scholar. He's a brainiac. You know, I recently had the, this opportunity to be at the pastor's prophecy conference and Dr. Ed Heinsen, a professor, professor of religion at Liberty University, speaking about Bible prophecy. And he's shooting this verse and shooting that verse and shooting that. I go, oh, man, I wish I had just a third of this knowledge. I mean, the guy's a scholar. We're not all called... To, to be that. But we are called to be an apologist. That's the bare minimum. We should be able to give the reason for the hope that's within us. We should be able to share the gospel message to those around us. Now Peter adds we need to do it with the right attitude, with, with meekness and in fear. In other words, we're to remain meek towards our persecutors and have fear towards God. One author puts it like this, you are the witness, not the prosecuting attorney. The point is all believers should know enough about their own experience, their own testimony, to be able to share it, to be able to explain it. Because it all points back to what Jesus Christ has done in our lives. We have hope because of Jesus. So you have a testimony. Share your testimony. Share the reason you have such hope in the midst of persecution. Don't need to be a scholar to do that. I think of when Jesus healed the blind man. And they pulled the blind man that can now see in, the Pharisees did, and they asked him, you know, hey, who, who healed you? So, said, well, this, this man named Jesus. Well, how did that happen? Oh, he's a prophet, I guess. But then Jesus came to him and said, do you believe in the Son of God? And the man replied, I believe, Lord. Then they, they, they hauled his parents in and said, you know, how was your son healed? And they said, you know, they were afraid of being excommunicated. So they said, well, you know, he's of age, ask him. So they did. They brought him back in again. They said, all right, we want to know how this man healed you on the Sabbath day. And, and the man simply replied powerfully, I can't answer all your questions. I can't give you a full explanation. All I know is this. Once I was blind, now I see. My point is, we don't have to know the Bible backwards and forwards in order to tell people, once we were blind, now we see. Once we walked in sin, now we walk in grace. Once we walked in darkness, now we walk in the light. Once I had no hope, now I have hope. Share the hope that is within us. And Jesus is the reason for that hope. So we're to have hope, number one. We're to give hope, number two. Number three, four reasons for hope. First reason that we have for hope is because of who God is. We have hope because of who God is. Listen, we have hope because God is good. Listen to Psalm 34, verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Jesus in Matthew 7, verse 11 said, If you then, being evil, know how to give good, good, good gifts to your children, 
how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? See, our hope is based on the fact that, that we have a Father who loves us, a God who is good, very good, and He knows exactly what's best for our lives. Jeremiah 29, 11, I think we all know that verse, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. God looks at each one of us and his thoughts towards you, whether you believe it or not, they're not for evil. They're for good. He has a plan for your life. When I was in my 30s and, and started to lose my hair, I had a friend of mine tell me, you know, God loves me and has a wonderful plan for my life. Unfortunately, it doesn't include hair. Now, he's completely bald and I still have some hair. So, But listen, God is good and he does have a wonderful plan for your life. He has a plan for each of us of peace and not of evil to give us a future and a hope. And no matter what we face, we can rest assured that God is good. In fact, Psalm 139, verse 17 and 18 tells us of God, how precious also are your thoughts to me. O God, how great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. I read that scientists actually have tried to estimate how much sand there is, and they came up with this estimate of 7 quintillion, 500 quadrillion grains of sand on the earth. How they did that, I have no idea how they figured that out. But just think about it. That's how much your father is thinking about you. That should give you hope. We have hope because of who God is. He's good. He thinks about us all the time. Second reason I can have hope is because my hope is based on what God has already done. My hope is not only based on the finished work of the cross, but I have hope because of what God has done in my life previously. I can look back on my life and see the times that God has been so faithful to see me through whatever difficulty, whatever trial I was going through. That tells me whatever is in store for me in the future, I can trust in just the same. I like the uh, lyrics of the song, The Goodness of God. In all my life you've been faithful, in all my life you've been so good. With every breath that I'm able, I I will sing of the goodness of God. Third reason we can have hope is because of God's promises. Listen, God's word is filled with promises. Promises that assure our hearts that God is working. So I walk in hope while I'm standing on the promises of God, looking to the promises of God. I've always liked the story of the early days of our country where weary travelers came to the banks of the Mississippi River for the first time. There was no bridge, it was early winter, and the surface of this mighty stream was covered with ice. Now he thought to himself, do I dare walk across this river? I mean, he wasn't sure that the ice would be able to bear his weight. Finally, with much hesitation, with many fears, he began to creep cautiously across the surface on the ice, on his hands and knees. About halfway across, he heard the sound of horses and a wagon behind him. He looked up and he saw a man driving a horse uh, loaded with coal across the ice uh, and singing merrily as he went his way. Yet here he was on his hands and knees, trembling, afraid the ice might not be strong enough to hold him up. And there, whisking by him in the winter's wind, went this man, horse, wagon, coal, upheld by the same ice that he was crawling on. Like this weary traveler, some of us have only learned to kind of crawl on our hands and knees upon the promises of God. Cautiously, timidly, trembling, we venture forth upon his promises as though the, the lightness of our step might make his promises more secure. I don't know, Lord. I'm not, I'm not sure about that promise. Listen, he's promised to be with us. Believe that promise. 
He's promised to uphold us. Believe him when he says so. He's promised to never leave you, to never forsake you. Believe him on that. And above all, he's promised to grant us full and free forgiveness of all our sins because of Jesus Christ, our Savior. So let's take him at his word, stand upon the promises of God. Don't creep upon the promises as though they were too fragile to hold up. Stand upon, be confident in God, that God is good, that his word is true, that he'll do what he's promised. And finally, this brings us to the fourth reason we have hope. We have hope because Jesus is coming back. Someone put it this way. Normal is not coming back, but Jesus is. <laughs> Titus 2, 11-14, Paul writes this, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. You know, people, they're looking for hope today. Why do they buy lottery tickets? They're buying $2 worth of hope. I hope I win. Paul says we have a blessed hope. I love that. Paul is saying our hope is blessed and that Jesus will return. It'll be amazing. It'll be the, the, the most joyful experience we will ever have as a believer in Jesus Christ next to our salvation. Paul says we will be blessed beyond measure when we see Christ. It'll be glorious. Why? Because these trials, the persecutions in this life will finally be over. We'll see that our present sufferings are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is revealed in us. Jesus is our hope, and no one can take that hope away. And then Paul adds there in Titus that we serve our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's the one we're living for. He's the one that's coming back for us where we'll, we'll spend eternity in heaven with him. That's the hope every believer has. We should believe God at his word. That we know, that, that, that we know no matter how horrible things may get on this earth, we have hope. Jesus is coming back. In fact, he promised that right before he went to the cross. He said, to, he said in John 14, 1 to 3, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If we're not told, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. He's coming back to get us, folks. And I believe it's very, very soon. Bible speaks of this in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 18. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with the Lord in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus shall we always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. It's going to bring comfort, peace. Why? It's the hope of the Christian. Now, for the non-Christian, not so much. That's why we are so thankful that we have this hope beyond this world, a blessed hope. Listen, as we close this morning, people today, they're hopeless. They're looking around. They're seeing inflation hit, hit the roof. Gas prices hit the roof. Uh, Arizona, it was like, like almost $5 a gallon. I saw pictures in California, seven, eight, nine dollars $9 a gallon for gas. Grocery prices are going up. There's wars happening, rumors of war. All these things God said would happen in the last days are causing people that don't know the Lord Jesus to become hopeless. But more than anything else, people today are hopeless primarily because of the emptiness that's filled, that, that, that fills their hearts. 
Augustine was right when he said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. B. Pascal, he was a very influential French mathematician and philosopher. He put it this way. There's a God-shaped vacuum inside the heart of every man that can't be satisfied by anything but God. You know, even today, men are trying to fill their lives with all sorts of, uh, of things that would take away that emptiness. But it's like putting a, a round peg in a square hole. I mean, everyone is essentially empty until they find salvation in Jesus Christ and Him alone. Until then, there's a Christ-shaped vacuum in the hearts of men. They have no hope. But listen, we do. We have the answer, the hope that you and I have. Don't give up. Pray for them. Pray that the blinders of sin would be removed so that the grace of God could be clearly seen. I want to close with this. Uh, C.H. Spurgeon told the story of a sea captain who once related a, a thrilling incident from his own experience. So this is from a captain to, to Spurgeon. He says, a few years ago, he said, I was sailing by the island of Cuba when the cry ran through the ship, man overboard. It was impossible to put up the helm of the ship, but I instantly seized a rope and threw it over the ship's stern, crying out to the man to seize it as for his life. The sailor caught the rope just as the ship was passing. I immediately took another rope and, making a slip noose of it, attached it to the other and slid it down to the struggling sailor and directed him to pass it over his shoulders and under his arms, and he would be drawn on board. He was rescued, but he had grasped the rope with such firmness, with such a death grip, that it took hours before his hold relaxed and his hand could be separated from it. With such eagerness, indeed, had he clutched the object that was to save him, that the strands of rope became embedded in the flesh of his hand. And then Spurgeon writes this, Has not God let down from heaven a rope to every sinner on the earth? Is not every strand a precious promise, and ought we not lay hold of it as for our very lives? Listen again. We don't know what tomorrow will bring, but we know who holds our tomorrows. Our job, keep your faith and hope in Him. Keep looking up. Let me finally say, if you're not a believer here this morning, God is offering you hope. God is is offering you forgiveness of your sin. You know, hope that the world doesn't have. Hope that the politicians can't give you. Technology can't give you hope. And even religion you can't find hope in. It's a hope that can only be found in Jesus Christ. We know the days ahead are not going to be easy. But those that know Christ know that we're not alone. We have God to walk us through each and every day. And that's the hope of every believer. Do you have that hope this morning? It comes from knowing Jesus. Knowing the same Jesus that left heaven, came to this earth to suffer and to die for you and for me. Because we were separated from God. We had broken God's commandments. We had fallen short of God's standards. But Jesus paid the price for every single sin we've committed. And then he rose again from the dead three days later. Now he stands at the door of your heart and he knocks. And if any man opens the door, hears his voice, opens the door, he will come in and dine with him. He'll, he'll give you eternal life. You can go to heaven. But let me say this, and I'll be blunt. If you don't open that door to your life, there is an eternity. But it's apart from Jesus Christ. It's an eternity in hell. And that's pure hopelessness in in its most purest form. So I encourage you this morning, if you've not given your life to Christ, don't wait another moment. He loves you. He wants you to turn from your sin. Give your life to Him today. and You can be born again this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this time. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You, Lord, for the hope that each one of us have as believers that no matter what this world looks like on the outside, No matter what this world can do to us physically, 
we have the hope of heaven, eternity with you. Lord, uh, we are more than conquerors to those that are in Christ Jesus. Lord, you've already paid the price. We have that victory. Help us to walk in victory. Help us to stand on the promises of your word. Help us to, to be ones that, Lord, share the hope that we have with those around us that have no hope. And Father, I do pray if there's anyone here that is yet to surrender their heart and life to you, they're not born again this morning, that they would see their need for you and their need to, to surrender their life to you, to be born again today. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, is there anyone here you want to give your life to Christ today? You want to be born again this morning? If that's your desire, would you raise your hand so I can pray for you today? Anybody at all? You want to be saved? You want to know that you're, you're going to go to heaven if you were to die today? Just raise your hand and say, I'm giving my life to you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for the hope that we have. Thank you, Lord, for the peace that we have that passes understanding. People in the world, they can't understand why we as Christians have peace when we see the inflation and we see everything going haywire. Lord, you are the Prince of Peace. You give us peace. We thank you for that. And now, Lord, I pray as we go our way, Lord, that we would just continue to be that witness for you, Lord, that we'd be looking, listening for your soon return and all things that we might bring you glory and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.